invite us into a moment of sacred silence as we quiet our minds and open our hearts to commune with the Almighty God. I'll begin our meditative reading and then you'll hear from Pastor James. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thine return, sweet hour of prayer. Amen. 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 I should just invite you to just hold the quiet as people join us. Amen. Thank you, Pastor James, for that powerful prayer. It's wonderful to be with you again this Wednesday. It's week two of this series, The Power of Prayer. Last week, we talked about Abram and his altars. And God bless my soul. And uh, we pray that uh, this week, the Spirit continues to move and teach. It's wonderful to see all of your beautiful faces this evening. So for the past week or so, and Pastor mentioned this in her sermon on Sunday, the nation has been in prayer for a brother named Damar Hamlin, who was just released this morning from the hospital. Um, and what I think is a powerful demonstration of the power of prayer. I don't know how many were praying. Um, yes, it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, but I think we can definitely take from um, the testimony of Brother Hamlin and the power of prayer. Amen. The New York Times had an article that came out. And in the article, the words, the power of prayer uh, were included. Uh, I think the article came out on the 5th. It was updated on the 7th, if you want to take a look at it. But the article documented prayer um, as it relates to football, but just um, was grateful to know that deliverance came for Brother Hamlin um, today as he walked out of the hospital. Um, the power of prayer, the power of prayer, the power of prayer. Trouble taught me how to pray. It's our central premise. Trouble taught me the power of prayer. Um, James... 516 um, is our threshold scripture. Does someone want to read that for it? Does anybody have that again for us? King James preferably, but we'll take any translation. Yes, Stephen. Uh, World Messianic Bible. Uh, 15, 16. 16. Confess your offenses one to another and pray 
to one another that he may be healed. The insistent prayer of the righteous man is powerfully effective. The insistent prayer of the righteous man is powerfully effective. Yes? Awesome. The prayers of the righteous person being made effective availeth much. Uh, whatever translation you have, I believe you can follow along in that verse. The prayers of the righteous availeth much. Somebody say the power of prayer. So today we're going to be talking about uh, my kinfolk, my cousin, my family, Jonah. Jonah and I have a lot in common. I feel akin to Jonah. Uh, we're going to be focusing in on Jonah. Um, and for those who are at the prayer retreat, know that uh, my sermonette focused on Jonah's story. Um, but at that time, I focused on the prayer of the sailors um, and not often focused on prayer. But tonight, tonight, we're going to center on Jonah's wholehearted prayer, Jonah's wholehearted prayer. But of course, we're going to bridge there. We're going to lay a foundation first. And so I want to talk a little bit about wholehearted prayer, wholehearted prayer. And so um, I want to go to three different scripture. Um, they're noted on the board. First, Luke 11, Luke 11, verse one. And if someone else can turn to Psalm 119, verse two. Does someone have Luke 11, verse 1? Yes. Oh, right here. Reading from the ESV. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Thank you. Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. Does someone have Psalm 119, verse 2? Psalm 119, verse 2 from the American Standard Bible. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies and seek him with all their hearts. Who observe his testimonies, who keep his statutes your translation might read, and seek God with all of their hearts. Wholehearted prayer. So it's, it's my prayer that as we go through this series that God would breathe new newness into our prayer life, that God would command our hearts, our minds, and our bodies, and our bodies um, by the Spirit of God so that we can learn anew what it means to truly and powerfully pray. Um, so I'm going to bring you all a little bit of teen teaching tonight. <laughs> um, so I was with the teens on Sunday, and we did a activity, um, I am, the I am activity. And so the question is, tell me who you are. Tell me who you are as an individual. And one teen, I'm not going to say which one it was, because y'all going to be like, that, 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 that was my child. That was my child who said that. One teen said, I am God's child. And I want to deepen my relationship with God this year. Well, this teen just bridged to where I was taking them, <laughs> just landed there. This teen said, I am God's child. And I want to deepen my relationship 
with God this year. Amen. And I submit to you, we do that by prayer. We do that by, by communing with God, by seeking God with all of our hearts, right? By coming into the presence of God and seeking the face of God. So here's an invitation, taking our cue from this particular team. Here's an invitation, whatever level your prayer life is at, that's between you and God, whatever level your prayer life is at, there is an invitation to take it deeper, to take it higher, to broaden it, to grow it, to cultivate it, to invest in it. Whatever level you're at, this is an invitation to deepen and grow your prayer life with God. And to do that, I think we have to be willing to learn and discover anew what it means to pray to God and the wondrous power of prayer. Amen? So now we're going to take the teen activity and take it broadly, corporately. Tell me who you are, RCF, as a corporate body. Tell me who you are as a corporate body. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 invites us to pray continually. Pray continually. Same chapter, verse 25, says, Sisters and brothers... Well, it's, I mean, it says brothers and sisters, but I'm, sisters and brothers, pray for us, right? Pray for us. And so I think Paul in this letter to this church that he had planted um, had concern for these brand new Christians, right? He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to guide them. And Paul does that by telling them to do what? To pray, to pray, right? Paul emphasizes prayer. He, 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 he makes prayer central to the growth, encouragement, and, and sustainability of this faith community. And I think there's something that we can take from that. So as a corporate body, who are we? Who are we? Ian Bounds in his, in his book, Power of Prayer, had a term that I think is helpful. He described um, what he termed as a praying class a praying class, a class of people who identified themselves by prayer, a praying class, a praying class of people. He writes this, quote, God wants holy people who are wholehearted and true for God's service and for the work of praying, the work of praying. These are the kind out of which the praying class is formed. God wants holy people who are wholehearted and true for God's service and for the work of praying. These are the kind out of which a praying class is formed, is birthed, work. So it's a heart posture, wholehearted prayer. Who are we? a praying class, wholehearted prayer. Ian Bounds, The Power of Prayer, it's a devotional. Nice and portable, looks like this. Ian Bounds. So the question becomes, what comes before our prayer time? What predominates in our lives? I, had, I mean, I had to sit down. Spirit brought this question to me. What predominates in my life? Is it prayer? 
How do I spend my time? And even when I sit down to pray, even when I prostrate myself to pray, even when I pause in stillness to pray, is there something that trumps it? If my phone sounds, do I, do I go to the phone? If I think of something that I left undone, do I pause my prayer and go take care of that? What comes before my prayer time? What comes before our prayer time? Psalm 25, 4 and 5 says, show me, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. And Jesus, our model and way maker, consistently shows us how to pray. Remember when Jesus pays a visit to the house of Mary and Martha, Mary goes and does what? Martha, yep, Martha goes and fixes dinner and she getting the house right and she making sure the bathroom is correct and, and all, we got fresh towels and we got food, all the things. Jesus is coming. I mean, we, we can't be out here with no food, right? House a mess. Jesus is coming. So Martha's scurrying around in Bethany trying to get the house right. What, what is Mary doing? Mary comes and does what? Sits at the feet of Jesus. And Martha is hot, Right? She ain't helping me out here sitting at the feet of Jesus. She ain't helping me do nothing. Just like her. And what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha. Sure. Calls the name twice. That's like when your parent call you by your full name, right? <laughs> calls her name twice, right? And lets her know time spent with me is what really matters, right? Mary has chosen what is right. So here's the question that came to me. Am I Mary or Martha? Mm. Am I Mary or Martha? This week, have I been more like Mary or Martha? Because you know, I, might, I might get it right for, for a day or two. <laughs> but this week, have I been more like Mary or Martha? This month, this Last year, was I more like Mary or Martha? So again, our invitation, whatever your level of prayer life, the invitation, the call is to deepen that, is to grow that, is to invest in that. Yes and amen? So even if we've strayed, even if we've strayed like Jonah, my kinfolk, we can always return. We can ask for the help of the spirit that dwells within us. What did we say in the last series? If we really want it, we'll, we'll ask for help. If we really desire to change, if we really desire to change, we'll ask for help. Real talk, sometimes we don't, we don't want to ask for help in prayer because we, do we really want to change? So it's like, Ask for help, right? Ask for help. We don't have to stay in our old pattern. We can always turn the page, okay? We can always turn the page. It's the beauty of books. You just, you just turn the page. New chapter, new page. Amen? Okay, so let's bridge on to the lesson. Um, I've been invited not to rush tonight, so you all just hang with me. Um, hang with me tonight. Um... Last week, Abram and his altars. What do we remember about last week? It was a week, it was a week ago. Abram, Abraham prayed and 
sought the Lord, and other times he was healed by his wife. What a beautiful nutshell. Sometimes Abram got it right and prayed, and sometimes Abram didn't get it right, didn't pray, and ended up with some, with some real consequences, right? Um, when Abraham got it right, he built altars. Remember, we talked about an altar being a memorial of a word that we received from God or, or a memorial of an encounter with God, um, a powerful moment with God, a powerful prayer with God. And for those of you who weren't here last week, um, you can go back and review um, Genesis uh, particularly chapters 12 and 13, but you'll see that Abram made altars um, in verses uh, 12, 7, and 8, uh, 13, uh, 3, and 4. He went back to the altar he had made in chapter 12 and then also made an altar um, in 13, 18. But you can follow that narrative and have the story speak to you. Um, but one thing Abram did is always return back to God, right, with this posture of repentance. So Abram remembered he repented, he reverenced God, right, in remembrance, returning to the altar and remembering the moment. We also recall sort of a related scripture we had in Joshua 4, verses 6 and 7, particularly that talked about the importance of memorializing the word you receive from God, memorializing uh, the encounter that you had with God that was transformative or powerful and compelling in some way. And that's also important so that we can teach our children so that we can teach our children the practice of memorializing our prayers. It's hard to teach something if we're not in the practice of doing it, right? I, when I was young, I used to hear adults say, uh, do as I say, and, and not as I do. <laughs> but how much more powerful if we're actually in the practice, right? If we're actually doing it, if we're actually doing it. Um, and so Abram had this prayer practice that I think is very helpful. Um, so in the text, it showed us the practice and it showed us where Abram prayed, but it didn't give us any glimpse into the content of the prayer, right? We never heard, we never read the words that were exchanged between Abram and God. And so tonight, when we examine Jonah's prayer, we're actually gonna get the content of what Jonah prayed and we're gonna examine that together tonight. So like Abram, like us, as we will see, like Jonah, Abram strays, right? But, Abram eventually comes back. We're going to see the same pattern with Jonah. Jonah strays. Jonah runs. I mean, you know, Jonah, Jonah runs. Um, Jonah runs. One second, I see you. Um, but, you know, eventually, like Abram, Jonah returns. But some things happen. Some things happen in the interim. No altar is built, we'll notice, to memorialize. Uh, Jonah didn't take out his prayer journal and take a note, okay? He didn't, he didn't uh, write it down anywhere. Uh, Jonah just sort of grabs, um, you know, um, grabs his, um, himself. He tightens the straps of his sandals, right? And he heads, for the, he heads down to the dock and gets on a boat, right? He just runs. He just runs out of there. And so it reminds me of, of, of a word that, that came to me in my morning meditation. And I feel like God spoke to me, you know, faith, faith obeys. Faith obeys. Fear is easily moved. Faith obeys. Fear is easily moved. And I submit to you that there was some fear um, 
resident in Jonah's experience um, because of the commission, because of the nature of the call. Jonah was called to go uh, minister and preach to a people that were oppressing his own people. Well, who wants to do that? Jonah was like, well, why should they be spared? Right? Who, I mean, who wants that assignment? Let me go speak truth and, and life and, and salvation to a people that are oppressing my people, the Assyrians, right? It's a hard assignment. It's a hard assignment. So we'll talk about how Jonah wrestles with that. Um, let me pause because we have a question. Yes. Um, we're talking about altars and what we build or what he built. What type of an altar or a milestone can we build in our daily life uh, for ourselves that we remember to go back to? Mm -hmm. uh, is it a piece of paper? Is it a picture? Is it uh, just what can we do to make our own altars that we can identify with? It's a great question, and I think it turns on the person. Some of you naturally write things down. You might be list makers, you might be journalers. So doing that, um, that, that spiritual practice naturally comes to you, right? So that can be a way you memorialize. Um, some people might be more, um, might be more creative. You might naturally write poetry or, or write song lyrics. That's a way to memorialize the way um, a word came to you. Actually, Jonah's prayer is poetry. It's, it's Hebrew poetry. Um, much of the Old Testament is written in poetic line um, with different poetic devices, um, metaphor, parallelism, etc. cetera. Um, so I think that however you naturally appear in the world, however you naturally uh, process information, um, what helps you if you're visual and you like to write things down, that's something that you can do. Um, you can also pray about it and see um, you know, where you land. The point is, is to document it in a way where you're gonna remember it, where that's a picture. Some people are artists and you can draw. Um, you can draw a picture, you can write a poem, you can just write it down. However you remember things. I live with Post-its. You know, you know, they're all over the place, Post-it tabs. So however you remember it, some people put dates in their Bible and a little note when a scripture spoke to them. However, whatever works for you. Um, just so you can come back to it and return to the message, because I submit to you, you will need to do that. Amen? Okay, moving on. Lack of wholehearted prayer will land us in the belly of the beast. Mm. Lack of wholehearted prayer will land us in the belly of the beast. Literally, metaphorically, however you want to hold that. Um, Psalm 27.5. It's hard to read Jonah without thinking of the Psalms. For my real Bible scholars, lay some of the Psalms alongside Jonah. It'll, it'll illuminate things in a way that, that will surprise you. Psalm 27.5. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. I had a dream when I was in seminary, I had a dream that um, I was um, strapped onto a, a rocky cliff up high and all my enemies were like at the base of the cliff and I was set up on high. 
And so everybody can see me and I felt exposed because I could see all my enemies just surrounding the base of this cliff. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like, um, you know, something spoke to me um, from within, you know, the spirit of God was like, they can see you, but they can't get to you. They can see you, but they can't get to you. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me in his, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tent. He will set me high upon a rock. So let's turn to Jonah now. Now, for those of you who are real Bibles, you know, it might take a second. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Yes, Bible student. Yes, I love it. If you see Micah, you've gone too far. Um, if you see Amos or Obadiah, you're not quite there yet. Towards, towards the rear of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Um, let's go to chapter 1, verse 17. We're really going to live in 117 through chapter two, okay? Just, just are, are we there, amen? We're there? Okay, great. Um, so here Jonah is in the belly of the beast, right? The belly of this fish. Um, and you know, Jonah's in trouble. Jonah's in trouble. Here we go. And so, you know, some people interpret um, the fish as, you know, divine judgment. The Hebrew word there in verse 17, let me read it. I'm in the, I'm in the NRSV, New Revised Standard Version. But the Lord provided a large fish, 117. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish. How long? three days and three nights. And so that verb there swallowed up um, in the Hebrew um, always has a negative connotation um, in the Bible. I think you, you see it in Numbers and in Leviticus. And so for that reason, some people um, interpret the fish as divine judgment, swallowing Jonah up. Some people um, interpret the fish as protection from the ocean. Um, we're going to explore, we're going to explore both tonight. Okay. Um, but also um, the, the, the verb in 117 in Hebrew is mana, but listen, it's M-A-N-A. -A. What'd that look like? Manna. <laughs> right? Manna. So God, mana, God provided, God appointed God assigned this fish to swallow up Jonah. That feels a little bit different than divine judgment, right? And so whether it's, it's the swallowed up negative version or mana, you can see how there's room for both translations. And so we're gonna explore both together tonight. And so the thing that may look like it was sent for your demise may actually be the thing that ushers in your deliverance, amen? The thing that looks like it was sent for your demise may actually prompt you to pray. And then you can sit back and be a witness to the power of your own prayer. And so here in my mind, this fish that God appoints, this fish that God assigns, 
that this fish that God speaks to is meant to usher in Jonah's prayer. Why do I say that? Because Jonah was prompted to pray before and did not. I touched on this at the prayer retreat when we were talking about the prayer of the sailors. So back in chapter one, when you go back and read Jonah in your own prayer time this week, it's only four chapters. But back in chapter one, you'll see that Jonah is prompted to pray by these sailors who don't even really believe in God. Okay. Um, so, you know, the story, the word of God comes to Jonah. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. I want you to go to Nineveh and, and proclaim my word to the people of Nineveh. Jonah laces up his sandals and runs and gets on the first ship to, to the opposite direction, pays a fare. Mm. Who has paid a fare going in the wrong direction? I know I have just paint coming up out of pocket going in the wrong direction, right? And so what happens? Come on, come on, Sunday school Bible readers. A storm comes, right? A storm comes. Jonah sleep, right? And then he's awakened by the sailors who are already calling on their gods. They already praying. They praying to the wrong God, but they praying, right? Jonah sleep, right? And so, <laughs> so they wake him up. They wake him up and say, why aren't you calling out to your God? They prompt him to pray. Does he pray? No, he don't pray, <laughs> right? So then they go back and they cast lots to figure out who is causing this storm and the lot falls on Jonah. They go back to Jonah. <laughs> they go back to Jonah and like, who are you? What, what people are you from? And so then he proclaims to them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I, I worship the creator God. So now Jonah's proclaiming on a ship going in the wrong direction instead of proclaiming to the people in Nineveh, right? And so, so now the men become even more afraid, right? What have you done to us? All the things. This is how sometimes when we disobey, we can get other folks' lives caught up in our own mess, right? Now they caught up in the storm. They're afraid, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he's prompted to pray in chapter one, but he does not. What does he do instead? He says, throw me overboard. Well, who's throwing a man of God overboard? He said now he, he serves the God of the sea and the land. They don't do it, right? They try to use their own expertise as sailors to salvage their lives in the ship. And it doesn't work. Finally, they surrender their will. Um, and they throw Jonah overboard. And that lands us back to our select passage in 117. So it's not just, it's not just, um, it's not just that he's going in the wrong direction, right? Running from the call of God, but like Abram, he, 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 he doesn't pray. <laughs> he doesn't pray. He doesn't pray. I'm going to pause here because Elder Corinne's face is illuminated. No, something just kind of stood out. It's, it's amazing that Jonah was doing all that he was doing to ignore what God wanted. And the very people who were not connected to God were the ones who prayed. Isn't that something? Mm. Come on up here and teach the lesson. My very next point. Come on up here, Elder Corinne. No, 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 that's good. That means you're checking with me. The prompt to pray may come from an unexpected source. 
the prompt to pray may come from an unexpected source, right? So Jonah running from God, and now God is using sailors who are not even believers to prompt Jonah to pray. So you, you can get on a plane, you can get on a train, you can run from God, and when you get to where you're going, God is right there. God, can't no one stalk you like God. <laughs> um, real quick, but not so quick, disobedience is what the Spirit spoke to me. Disobedience always has consequences. Disobedience always has consequences. We saw this last week with Abram, and here we are again with Jonah. Jonah puts an entire ship and its crew, right, and his own life and the call and commission of God at risk because he didn't like the people attached to his assignment. He didn't like his assignment. <laughs> what we talked about earlier, right, Deacon Everett? Pastor, I see your hand. Yes, throw me overboard. Suicidal ideology. I'd rather die. Thank you, Pastor. I'd rather die than carry this out. Throw me overboard. Now, now it's not, it, they wasn't in calm waters, throw me overboard, friends. This is choppy sea, dark water. Throw me overboard. Yes. I also want to point out that the Bible says all things are that if he had not disobeyed, these men would have never came to know the Lord. It was, it was his disobedience that caused him to get where he is at. But in that disobedience, the Lord still used him to bring the men of the ship to know who he was. Yes. So we are fighting against the Lord in our disobedience. His will will be done. Amen. So that I want to make, and I want to do one thing I use. You was mentioning uh, uh, Genesis 12 and 8, and if you go to uh, Joshua 8 and 12, you're going to find that the men went to the same place. It, it gives a description of where that where that uh, altar was made for uh, Abram, and when they came Ai. 5,000 men went there, and there they remember. I think that's the same place. Uh, if you look at the direction. It is. Between Bethel and I. It's the, yeah. So if you look at the two references, they two come together in the same place where he built the altar. This is where the sin and now the victory is coming because of what he goes back to your altar. That's Yes, and two excellent points. And I actually encourage you to go back um, to chapter one and, and slow walk those verses because you will see, just as our brother points out, that God completely converts um, the sailors and they vow to proclaim at the end, right? Start off praying today, guys, the wrong guys, end up going to tell the story about how they got over, right? And that's just the power of prayer, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just the power of prayer. And, um, and, and, and we talked about memorializing altars. And we talked about in Joshua 4, how we can teach our children. And you're right, if you track where these altars are built, even where wells are dug, you will, you will see generations of people return to the same altars and to the same wells to receive water. 
Okay, so you know, hey, let's let, let's let's really read our Bibles, right? Thank you. Um, okay, so so let's go ahead and bridge now. Let's go ahead and bridge um, into into chapter two. Yeah, let's go ahead and bridge into chapter two. So Jonah is now in the fish, right? We're going to center on Jonah's wholehearted prayer, wholehearted prayer. Um, there's a quote by Abraham Lincoln, right? Abraham Lincoln famously said, a divided house will not stand. Yes. A divided heart, a divided heart will not stand. A divided heart will not stand. My will, God's will. Where is my heart? My will, God's will. A divided heart will not stand. So in 117, Jonah is swallowed up. 2-1, in my translation, chapter 2, verse 1 starts off with then. So Jonah swallowed up, and then what does Jonah do? From the belly of Sheol, Jonah prays, right? <laughs> then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress. I'm in the NRSV. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. It's a metaphor, friends. It means... Um, you know, Hades, the realm of death, right? Pastor talked about, he was just like, throw me overboard. <laughs> I'm ready to give up the ghost, right? Hades, the realm of death, right? It's the meaning in the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. In the New Testament, the word abyss, right? Oh, man, I got to teach on Revelation. The word abyss, right? Pit of death, realm of death. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. Verse three, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me, crashed over me. Verse four, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How, how shall I look again upon your holy temple? Verse five, the waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. Bars made me think of a, of a prison whose bars closed upon me. And so in chapter two, verse two, we see that Jonah describes where he is as the belly of Sheol, the realm of death, the abyss, Hades, the pit, right? Jonah is praying from this place. Let me just write realm of death up here. Realm of death, okay, the belly of Sheol, right? So this is the interpretation where Jonah is swallowed up and it's got a negative context, right? So in verses two through six, really six a, let me let me let me let me get to six a. Um, 
at the root of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. I mean, Jonah, Jonah is, I mean, he's in a, he's in a particular place, right? The belly of Sheol, you cast me into the deep. The flood surrounded me. The waves and the billows passed over me. How can I look again upon your temple, right? The waters closed in over me. I'm at the root of the mountains. I am down in the pit. The bars closed upon me forever. My, my. And then in verse six, we got verse 6a. And then we have verse 6b. So Jonah's still praying, but something happens in the latter half of verse 6. My Bible says yet. What does your Bible say? Yet. Does everybody say yet? Yet. Feel like a shout coming. Yet. You brought my life up from the pit. This is my favorite verse in the whole. You brought my life up from the pit. The pit here is a metaphor, the pit of death. What is the pit in your life? You brought my life up from depression. You brought my life up from grief. You brought my life up from whatever what addiction, whatever it was. You brought my life up from the pit, oh Lord, my God. So 6B, I submit to you, is the fulcrum where the whole prayer shifts. Jonah goes from the belly of Sheol to the belly of the fish. It shifts in 6b. It turns on this fulcrum, right? Jonah pivots. His perspective changes, and you witness it right there on the yet, okay? This right here, this right here is the yet. And, 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 and Jonah starts going in a new direction. Jonah pivots on this fulcrum. Fulcrum, definition, the point on which a lever rests or is supported. The point on which it pivots. The thing that plays a central or a, or, or a particular essential role in an event or a situation. I submit to you, Jonah, Jonah only gets to this pivot. He only gets to this fulcrum because he's in prayer. He's in prayer. But 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 let's let's go a little deeper though. How does Jonah go from a prophet on the run to a prayer exemplar and proclaimer? He's praying, but what is Jonah also doing? He's fasting. He's in the belly of a fish. <laughs> what are you eating in the belly of a fish? He was tossed into the wave. So whatever snack pack he had in his pouch, whatever raisin cake or dates, whatever he had, if, if he had time to grab it before they dumped him overboard, he was in the water. He's swallowed up by a fish, looking at some intestines or whatever he's looking at. Jonah, in my reading, is not only praying, but Jonah's fasting. Three days and nights in the belly of a fish, Ain't nothing to do but pray to God. So the fish, the environment of the fish, the circumstance of the fish, the predicament of the fish, or the prayer closet, <laughs> the war room of the fish. <laughs> the war, who saw, who saw that movie? My dad loved that movie. The war room or the prayer closet, right? 
The sailors asked Jonah to pray. Did Jonah pray? No, no problem. We're going to give you a prayer closet, right? Where you're not only praying, but guess what? You are fasting. You are fasting. Let's turn to Mark 9. Put your finger in Jonah. Let's turn to Mark 9. Mark 9, verse 14. I'm sorry. Did I say Mark? Yeah, Mark 9, verse 14. Are we there? Amen. So this is the pericope. This is the story of the healing of the boy with a spirit, right? Um, I think pastor talked about on Sunday how Jesus calls us to do even greater things, right? Than he, our commission as disciples of Jesus. And so in this particular story, I'm gonna give you the high, the high level cliff notes. Um, there was a boy who had a spirit and the, and the disciples were trying to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't, right? They could not. Um, verse 20, and they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. The hymn is Jesus. We're, we're skipping down a bit, Right. Verse 21, Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And it often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have, have pity on us and help us. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things, someone say all things, all things can be done for the one who believes. 24, immediately the father of the child cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. Remember we talked about the pendulum? I believe, but help my unbelief. I mean, I could stay there all day, but let's, let's move on. 25, um, actually, no, let's skip down. Um, basically, you know, Jesus commands the spirit out of him and never um, to enter into him again after crying out and convulsing him terribly, the spirit came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. Verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he was able to stand. Mm. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. Back at the house, back in private, back in private, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out, Lord? Why could we not cast it out? Verse 29, he said to them, this kind can come out only through prayer. Now, if you got a good Bible, you got a footnote there. Some, some, come, come on, teach the lesson. The Greek will give you, the Greek will give you the verse that is taken out. <laughs> the Greek will give you the verse that is missing. The Greek says, but this kind will not come out 
if not by a smoother translation, except by prayer and fasting. What is Jonah doing? He's praying and fasting. So how does Jonah go from being a prophet on the run three days later to being a prayer exemplar and proclaimer? Prayer and fasting. So Jonah is able to release his idolatrous spirit. My will before God. God said, don't have any God before me. Mm, that includes our wills. Ooh, forget, forget me. Mm. Right? So Jonah releases his idolatrous spirit, my will before God's. Yes. So in uh, the beginning of this, this second chapter, I cried for help, like you said. Oh, I'm done. I cried for help. Mm-hmm. And then we will go down six because I can finish the beach of the mountain. The earth is as far as it's around. And Psalm 88, as you said. Yes, yes. Line up. And Psalm 88, I won't read the whole thing, but there's a part where the writer says, I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. Yes. I have become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave. Yes. Whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hands with me in the lowest pit, in dark places, in the depth. What all of that, how, how it speaks to me, is that Jonah had no more control. Mm -hmm. I have been to the place where I was dying and saw life leaving me. Mm -hmm. in, my, in my body, in our body, we would think, get up, do something. But when there is nothing else for you to do, and Jonah said in that seventh verse, uh, that second chapter, he said, while I was sinking. Mm -hmm. While my life was ebbing while, away. Yeah, yeah, yes. While my life while was my life ebbing was away. Yes. Mm -hmm. I remembered the Lord. And, and it, I'm, I'm telling you. Come on, teacher. We're about to go right there. I remember flying down the hall. Mm. On a journey on my way to ICU. Mm. And I read after that that a doctor saw me and stopped them and said, go back, take her back wherever you got her from. She's not going to make it to ICU. Mm. Give her this med, do this, do that. And all I could think, I couldn't talk. I could hear. Mm -hmm. And there was the truth. Mm. And I just said, Lord, for real, I'm in your hands right now. There it is. For real. Yeah. Yeah. Could you just take care of me? Mm. I don't know any of these people. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But this feels like that place. Yes. That I know nothing about. That I'm not ready to go to. Yes. And I feel like that's what Jonah was like. Praying, fasting, repenting. All of the above. All of the above. Save me. <laughs> Save me. That is a beautiful testimony. 
that bridges us right into this last part of our lesson. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. We just going to float on the wing of that narrative. Um, so, so we're back in Jonah. Amen. We, we got the, we back in Jonah right to the verse elder Pat referenced. Actually, let, let's go back to verse six B, right? Our fulcrum yet we there yet, yet you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord, my God, elder Pat just said it as my life was ebbing away. What happened? I remembered. I remembered the Lord. We talked about memory as a spiritual gift, right? We can remember bad things or we can remember good things. I remembered the Lord and what happened. And my prayer came to you. Your translation might say my prayer rose to you, right? Into your holy temple. Now back up to verse four. What was Jonah saying in verse four before the fulcrum pivot? How shall I look again upon your holy temple? Now, after Jonah remembers God, still in prayer and fasting, now he's saying, I remember the Lord and my prayer does what came to you into your holy temple. Right? So verse seven, Jonah remembers. Jonah remembers verse seven. Verse eight, we're going to slow walk this. Verse eight. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. Mm. Jonah's getting at idolatry here, maybe recognizing the idols in his own life, like his own will. But Jonah relinquishes anything, his will, or anyone that would stand as an idol before God's will. So Jonah releases his will. Or Jonah relinquishes his real his will to eight. And Jonah returns to his first love. I think with these two verses. So he releases and he returns. Okay? Jonah releases and Jonah returns. Mm. Two nine. But I with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Let's break that up. Let's break that up in three ways. Uh, three ways. First, but with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. Here, Jonah reveres or worships, I got our words, I'm just gonna do reveres, but worships, right? E-S, reveres, he worships, right? Jonah does this while praying and fasting, still praying, still fasting, right? He remembers while praying and fasting. He relinquishes and returns while praying and fasting. He reveres, he worships while praying and fasting, right? But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Jonah also says yes. Jonah says yes to God. 
He vows, he promises, right? He promises to God while praying and fasting. He says yes, and he vows to sacrifice his own will. I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And then finally, deliverance belongs to the Lord. Jonah surrenders. Jonah surrenders. Deliverance belongs to God. He surrenders the outcome. I'm here in the belly of this fish, or I'm in the belly of Sheol. Your choice, God. This either a prayer closet or Hades, the realm of death. I surrender the outcome to God, right? Jonah surrenders the outcome while praying and fasting. I submit to you, family, this is a drastic change. All on the bridge of prayer and fasting, Jonah remembers, he releases, he returns, he reveres and worships God. He says, yes, sacrifices his own will and then surrenders the outcome, right? Deliverance belongs to the Lord. How many of us pray like that? We, 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 in, we in a bind. We, we, we in the belly of the beast. We in the realm of death. We just like, God, deliverance belongs to you. If you want to deliver me, that's, that's cool. And if not, I trust in your sovereignty. Mm. I don't know if I get there without prayer and fasting. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Verse 10, same word that chapter 2 starts with, then. 2.1, then Jonah prayed. 2.10, then the Lord. Mm, someone didn't catch it. 2.1, then Jonah prayed. 2.10, then the Lord spoke to the fish and it spewed Jonah out of its mouth onto dry land. One translation says onto the beach. I was like, onto the beach? <laughs> Jesus, glory. I imagine, I was like, okay, Trent, okay, onto the beach, onto dry land. The point was Jonah was no longer in the sea. How tired was Jonah? You've been fasting for three days and you've been praying for three days. I mean, some of us just praying for 30 minutes. <laughs> You'd be like, Lord, <laughs> he hasn't eaten in three days probably hasn't drank anything in three days, and he's been praying and fasting. What a blessing that the fish didn't spit him up into the water. That still would have been deliverance. But my God, now you got to get to dry land. How weak. I mean, that, huh? We from one belly of shallow to, we, we back from the belly back, back here. Back. The fish spits him up on dry land. So our creator God, the same God that commanded the ravens with Elijah, the same God that commanded frogs and flies, the same God that commands the sun and the rain. Our creator God commands his creation. The fish he had appointed, the fish he had provided, the fish he commanded spits Jonah up onto dry land, mm. onto the beach. And Jonah promises to proclaim the word of God. 3-1, and then the word of God came to Jonah a second time, saying, get up. Mm, get up. 
Go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of God. According to the word of God. But it gets better. It gets better. We on the home stretch. So Jonah makes good on his promise. But God, our God of second chances, <laughs> gives him the same commission from the first time. It's a do-over. We call it a do-over when I was a kid. You get a do-over. You get a second chance, right? You get a second chance. And guess what? Jonah makes good on his promise. In fact, Jonah preached so good. I'm in chapter three now. Chapter three, verse five. You there? Jonah preached so good that the people believed God won. But then what else did the people do? They proclaimed a fast. Jonah preached so good <laughs> that these same people that he didn't want to go preach to, the Assyrians proclaimed a fast and everyone put on sackcloth and covered themselves with ashes to mourn and to do what? The same thing Jonah just did, repent, right? Repent. And then the king didn't act on his own. The king was moved by his people. The king, word got to the king that the people were fasting and covering themselves in sackcloth. And I love this part. So then the king issues a decree. I'm in verse seven now. The king issues a decree for a corporate fast and for, and for human beings and animals to be covered in sackcloth. You missed it. Not just the human beings, but the animals. <laughs> we got the animals covered in sackcloth, right? We got the animals covered in sackcloth. And so 3, 9, and 10, 3, 9, and 10 says this. Here's the king talking. Who knows? Maybe God will relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. We saw the power of prayer this week with Damar Hamlin and his deliverance. And I submit to you that Jonah, both Jonah and the people of Nineveh saw their own deliverance. It was a dual deliverance that they witnessed. Jonah saw his own deliverance and the people of Nineveh saw theirs. Last, last verse, last verse in the whole book, 411. This is God speaking to Jonah because Jonah gets upset that God saved him. That's, di that's, that's different. Uh, which, that's, that's, another, that's another word. Um, and I should, verse 11, and, and should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people and also many animals? So God not only saved the people, God saved the animals. Both was covered in sackcloth, right? <laughs> I mean, listen, <laughs> everybody repented, okay? And, and God saved not only the people, but God saved the animals also. And here's what blessed me. So Jonah goes back and records his story. 
We said there was no altars in chapter one, but I submit to you the book of Jonah is an altar. Jonah records his own story, does it in the form of poetry, but records it no less. And then here's what blessed me. Jesus points to Jonah's altar when Jesus is teaching, right? So in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 40 to 41, Jesus points to the sign of Jonah, the sign of repentance. Let's go there real quick. Matthew chapter 12, we'll end here. 40 and 41. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights, the son of man will be in the heart of the earth, in the belly of the beast. So Jesus lifts up Jonah, points to Jonah as a sign that from the belly of the beast, from the belly of Sheol, you can come with a repented heart and call upon God and be delivered. Three days Jonah was delivered and three days our God, our returning and reigning redeemer, rose from the dead. Build prayer altars as you build the kingdom of God. Build prayer altars as you build the kingdom of God. I submit to you that sometimes our hold up, our hesitation comes from how we see ourselves, not how Jesus sees us, not how God sees us. Jesus points to Jonah as a model of repentance, someone who prayed for deliverance in the belly of the beast. So like me, you may have Jonah tendencies. Jonah might be your kinfolk. You may have a divided heart. My will, God's will but Jesus will recall your wholehearted prayer. Jesus will recall your wholehearted prayer. As a disciple, there's greater work for us to do. May the Holy Spirit help us in this work and may we get there by praying and fasting. So before Jonah prays, he runs in the wrong direction. After Jonah prays, he stands firm and promises to proclaim and does so effectively for God. The power of prayer, family. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.